our um, series. Thanks, Cheryl. That's not clicking through for some reason. Let's check the batteries. Now it is. Set free in 23. You just notice some of the songs this morning as well. There's an incredible amount of uh, words in our songs that talk about who we are in Christ and the freedom that we have. And I hope that we're gaining some of the knowledge of what our freedom in Christ is so that we can then introduce others to have that same freedom in Christ uh, through believing in him as Lord and Saviour. But for the last few weeks, we've been looking at the Great Commission for every Christian, what it means to share the faith for all of us. And it's, it's, we're using a, a themed uh, series called Plan A because there is no Plan B. We are Plan A. The church is Plan A. Followers of Jesus, believers in the Lord Jesus are Plan A. That's his plan for us. And so today... We're uh, looking at another aspect. Cheryl's already introduced it, rowing together. But I want to talk about this fellow. Some of you may know Elliot. Now, who can pronounce his surname? Good on you. I'll call him Elliot. Elliot was a marathon runner. Who's ever seen him in the Olympic marathons? Anybody seen him? He is a great runner, long-distance runner. And But there's a story behind him. He came from He comes from Kenya and... He is not just any marathon runner. He is the world record holder of the marathon. So the marathon, I think, is 26 miles, if I remember. And there's always this issue in that it was just over two hours to complete. Just over two hours. And he had this passion burning within inside him. He wanted to do the marathon in under two hours. For me, that's just dreaming. I don't do marathons. But for him, it was a passion. And so he, he was incredibly fast, incredibly talented, and he wanted to do this. He had a whole team of people with him. He had his coaches, his medical team and others, and they wanted to help him achieve this nearly beyond human task of beating the two-hour mark for the, for the uh, marathon. And so this team came together to see what they could do. On their first attempt, they failed. Guess what they did it in? Elliot crossed the line in two hours and 26 seconds. For me, for me, that would be good enough. I would be okay with that. But not Elliot, okay? And so, he was, he was off, off pace by one second per mile. I don't even know what that means. Okay, but that's his passion. And so they got the team together again and they planned it. And on the 12th of October 2019, he and his team did what was considered humanly impossible. He ran the marathon in under two hours, one hour, 59 minutes and 40 seconds. That's just amazing. That's just amazing. But when he did it, he said it was like, he felt like what the fellows would have experienced where man walked on the moon for the first time. But just like Neil Armstrong, he didn't make it to the moon on his own. Elliot had a team working with him. And they did some amazing things to help him to get that marathon under two hours. A whole team. There were runners that joined him along the way. So you imagine, 26 miles in the old terminology, and at certain points these, there was this big team of runners used to come in and just join him along the way to give him that motivation to keep on going. There were people who, who were on push bikes and they bought him food and drink along the way. How do you do that? Running, drinking, anyhow. And some people drove cars to set the pace so that they had this 
uh, cruise control type thing where they would set the pace and they knew what they had to do to achieve that mileage and achieve that time. There were scientists involved. They created these new running shoes for him so that they would be the most comfortable and do the distance well. So there's this, there was this incredible group of people doing, but there was one other element of people. They actually had rent a crowd and rent a crowd were along the, along the 26 miles and they cheered him along as he went. How's that? Just to keep that motivation and that intensity going. He, he broke the world record, but there were so many people involved. Each of those people used their different abilities and skills to be able to come together to achieve the goal. I think you know where we're going today, don't you? Row, row, row your boat. Well, for the past four weeks, we've been looking at how we do mission, evangelism, sharing the gospel, obedience to the Great Commission, uh, using this theme, Plan A. And so we've looked at some of these things. We've looked at growing together. We've looked at knowing uh, the, the, the others and, and that relationship, building intentional relationships. We've looked at sowing the seeds of conversation. And I wonder if that works for you this week. Did you have a conversation with somebody that maybe led to you sharing your faith or what you believe about Jesus with them? I know some people did. They've already told me. But there's more. As always, there's more. For us to be involved in this great commission and more than just each of us doing our own thing, because all those three areas so far are each of us doing our own thing. Today we get to look at something that we do together. We're a team of people who came together like Elliot's team. We're a team of people who come together with that common goal of inviting people to meet Jesus, the risen King. And so we've got to learn how to row together. Uh, we've got to learn how to partner with others. We've got to remember that we're not on our own when we partner with others, that we work as a team when we partner with others. And there are two primary partnerships involved, which I'm going to touch on this morning. Anybody been rowing in a rowboat? Uh, just a, hands up if it was an ordinary rowboat, you know, like a dinghy behind a, another boat or something like that. Hands up anybody who's been rowing in a rowing skull, you know, like a, a uh, two-person, four-person, eight-person, ten-person skull. Somebody done that? Yeah, yeah. There's a real difference in those styles, but there's a, there's a key element in all of them. If you're not doing it together... It creates a mess. Yeah? You can imagine that if, if there was a, a rowing skull of eight rowers and the ones down this end were rowing forwards and the ones at this end were rowing backwards, what would happen? <laughs> Given the fragility of them, it would probably split in the middle and it'd sink. <laughs> I heard someone mention a story about kayaking earlier. And, um, and if you're, if one person's going this way, on one side, one person's going this way. On that side, guess what happens? You go in circles and don't get anywhere. So you have to do it together. So I think we know what it's like to work together, uh, whether it's rowing a boat or, or, or uh, on a, uh, uh, an activity where, where we do things together. And that's what the church needs to realise. We need to realise that we need to work together. If we're going to be on effective mission and do the mission that God's called us to, it's, it's okay for us to have our own gifts, skills and abilities, but, but because of the church, because we're the church, we need to do this together. Let's look at the passage we're going to look at today, which is Matthew chapter 9, 
and I'll read it through. It says this from verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages. He taught in their synagogues. He preached the good news of the kingdom and he healed every illness and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he felt deep concern for them. Some translations say he had compassion on them. They were beaten down and helpless. Other translations say they were hopeless and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is huge, but there are only, there are only a few workers. So ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the, his harvest field. You know that passage, you've heard it before, haven't you? It's probably, I've even preached on it a few times here before. It's a well-known passage. There are some elements in that that we need to understand. If we're going to be involved in working together as a team, rowing together in seeing people come to faith in Christ. Let's jump in at verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages. He taught in their synagogues. He preached the good news of the kingdom and he healed every illness and sickness. I thought about this passage and I thought, if anybody didn't need a team, it would have been Jesus, don't you think? He could have done it all on his own. He, in fact, he was doing it all on his own for quite a long time. But did he really intend to keep on doing it all on his own? We, know, we look in hindsight and we know that no, he didn't. He had a plan for us. But he could have done it on his own. He didn't need anybody to tell him what to do. He didn't need anybody to give him power to heal those sicknesses and diseases. He didn't need anybody, but he chose people. He saw, he saw the real needs of the people around about him. He saw that they were sheep, or like sheep without a shepherd. They were hopeless, harassed, helpless, and all that description. He looks at them and he's filled with compassion. And the word there is that he felt it in his guts. He was so concerned about the people in that they had no direction in their life. They were lost. Why? Because he's the shepherd king. He's the one that came to lead us to God. He's the one that came to give people the opportunity to live a fulfilled and functional life. He's the one who came to provide peace and safety. That's what shepherds do, isn't it? He's the one who came to lay down his life for his sheep. What do we see when we look at the people around about us? Do we look at people like Jesus looks at them? I ask, are we even looking? Do we tend to put blinkers on when we go down the road? And I don't want to see that homeless person there. I don't want to see this person who's fighting with their husband in the supermarket. I don't want, yeah, whatever. Do we just put on blinkers and look down and not look around? Who enjoys people watching? For the right reasons, not for the wrong reasons. I love watching people. I remember in Townsville, I was invited to go to a football match. It was the uh, Broncos were playing, and uh, a guy had a season ticket. He couldn't go one night, so he gave me his ticket. I thought, oh, good, I haven't been to a Broncos match. So sitting up high in the stands, hardly watched any of the game. I was more fascinated by the people around about me and their antics and all that sort of thing. But sometimes we don't take any notice of the people around us. Sometimes we don't see what's really going on, even if it's just from the outward appearance. So the next time you go to a 
football game or the next time you go to the shopping centre or, or, or if you cl- climb a lookout, have a look for the people and see what the people are doing. Do we see people who are successful and happy and, 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 and know that they're better off with Jesus? Not often. Because most people are not. Most people are struggling. Do we look at people as we would love to see them, as people who are following Jesus, as people whose lives have been changed by Jesus? Often not, we look at people in judgment rather than seeing them as Jesus saw them who were hopeless and helpless, lost like sheep without a shepherd. I wonder, you know, we did that series through John, seeing what Jesus sees and we're going to keep on coming back to that. Are we looking at people? How did he look at us? When he first saw us, he looked at us individually as hopeless and helpless because of sin and disobedience in our lives. And yet he chose to die on the cross for all of us. And he chose to die on the cross for all the people that we see during the week. Do we see them as Jesus sees them? The problem isn't that they are sheep. That's not a problem. The problem is that they don't have a shepherd. They don't have somebody to lead them and guide them and show them the right way to live. So I wonder if the next time you go on a hike or the next time you walk down the main street or the next time you go to a shopping centre somewhere, will you see people differently? Uh, you might not like the foul language. You might not like the awful stories. You might not like their, their chosen uh, worldview or lifestyle. But do you see them as Jesus sees them? That's the challenge for us. He says in verse, sorry, I challenge you, next time you go to the shopping centre, grab a coffee, sit down and watch people. Don't judge them. But think to yourself, Jesus died for that person. Just like he died for me. And I wonder what difference your cup of coffee would look like that day. In verse 37, we see that Jesus sees the urgency, sees the crowds. So he says to his disciples of the day, the harvest is huge, but there are only a few workers. The harvest is huge, but there are only a few workers. He's not kidding, is he? He wasn't kidding back then. It wasn't an understatement. It was true. There are very few people at the time of Christ Christ himself included, they were pointing people back to a real and intimate and personal relationship with the living God. There was this 400-year gap in the Old Testament to the New Testament where there was very few prophets, there was very few uh, uh, conscientious teachers of the Word of God. And they focused more on the law and control rather than pointing people to the one true God. So there was very few. And, and there are still a few people there. There's lots more today but there's still not enough because the harvest is still huge. And so Jesus, knowing this, he said, how can one man do this? So what did he do? He chose to appoint some helpers. And we read that in chapter 10, the next part, chapter 10, verses 1 through to 8. And this is what it says. Jesus called for his 12 disciples to come to him. He gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every illness and sickness. Here are the names of the 12 apostles. You probably know them. First, uh, Simon Peter and his brother Andrew. Then comes James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Next, uh, Philip and Bartholomew. 
and also Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. Two more are James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus. The last are Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot. Judas is the one who was later going to hand Jesus over to his enemies. Verse 5 says, Jesus sent these 12 out with the following orders. Do not go among those who aren't Jews, so don't go to the Gentiles. He said, do not enter any town of the Samaritans. And we've heard of the difference between uh, Jews and Samaritans and why he said that. Instead, verse 6 says, instead go to the people of Israel. They are like sheep who have become lost. So, So Jesus was communicating what he'd already seen, what his impression of the people that he was looking at. He was communicating that to his 12 disciples so they had an understanding of what Jesus saw. The people in the that they could see were like sheep that have become lost. Verse 7 says, As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal those who are sick. Bring those who are dead back to life. Make those who have skin diseases clean again. Drive out demons. You have received freely, so give freely. What did Jesus do? He developed a partnership. He decided to row with his disciples, rowing together, not just him doing the work, but encouraging them and passing on to them the work that he initiated. That was his plan. That was his plan for his disciples. And that's still his plan for us today. It was intentional. He had an intentional partnership with those 12 disciples at the time. He calls and creates a community of people that will help him. Gee, what's the church? The church is a community of people focused on Christ and ultimately called to serve with Christ. What's important here isn't the individual identities, even though we know their names, we don't know a lot about them. What's important is that Jesus created this community of people that were doing the same thing together. They were doing it together. They were on mission together. What would they do? They would continue to do what Jesus had done. They were going to be teaching. They were going to be healing. They were going to be pointing people back to Jesus. So his solution to the harvest being plentiful or huge was to send out more workers. And his purpose today is to send out a church that is on that same mission. Send out the church that is on that same mission. Does our church have a mission? Does it? The last of our statements is to impact the world, following Jesus, caring for each other, impacting the world. Yes, we have a mission. Is it part of our identity? Do we want to see people come to faith in Jesus? Yes, I believe we do. Do we see ourselves? This is a big one. Do we see ourselves as the sent ones, just like those disciples were created together as a community with a purpose, and then Jesus sent them out? Sometimes that's the sticking point for us, that we don't consider that we are sent ones. I want to encourage you, though, that we're not sent ones. We're sent ones together. We're not in this alone. We're in this as partners in the mission that God has called us to. It's each one of us' purpose here at Atherton Baptist to be a part of the mission that God's called us to. It's not uh, Bob's job or... Kevin's job or John's job or or, or Lincoln's job. It's all of our job together to be on mission for Christ. We need to work together. So I want to finish this morning with three things that uh, 
that, that I believe we can be encouraged in as we seek to partner together, to row together, to be that team together on mission as a church that God has called us to. The first one is, I want to encourage you to do this. Sorry, Cheryl, you're, you're jumping ahead of me. Good. It's called dyslexia with the thumb. So the first thing we can do is use your gifts and talents and passions to partner with God's people in this church. You might not know what your gifts and talents are. If you don't, come and see me and we'll discover them together. Perhaps you do know, but you haven't listened to what other people have been telling you about yourself. You know, sometimes we we seem to be so overly humble that we don't listen to what other people are saying that we do really well. When somebody thanks you for doing something, they're recognising your gifts, skills or talents. And if that happens, say, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do with these things that people have thanked me for or the things that people have thanked me for doing? These people that that Jesus sent out, the 12 apostles, the 12 apostles, who were they? Matthew was a tax collector. Peter was a fisherman. Uh, Simon was a zealot. The others we don't know much about other than brothers of fishermen. But they had different lives, different skill sets, different abilities. Jesus calls them not as a hodgepodge bunch together. Sometimes we think that's what the church is. But he calls them together with a purpose to go on mission together with all those skills and abilities that they bring that are different to each other. Somehow they complement. Somehow when they partner together, they complement one another. And that's what happens in the church, isn't it? You know, uh, not everybody wants to be the preacher. And I'm so glad about that. Because uh, not everybody can be the preacher. Not that the preacher's everything. But not everybody can do morning tea. Not everybody can be there for the homeless. Not everybody can be there for the children. And that's okay. But we should honour those that are. We should encourage them and thank them for their gifts and abilities in service on Mission for Christ. Elliot had a team. Every one of them was important. Whether they were the, the runners that joined them along the way, whether they were the people on the push bikes bringing in food and water, whether they were the people driving the cars, keeping that set pace, whether they were the imported cheer squad on the sides, they were all important to see him achieve that attempt at breaking the world record. If you can't do anything else, here's a challenge. If you can't do any, anything else, you can be one of the cheer squad. If you see somebody doing something fantastic in the life of the church, go over and tell them. That was so good. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for, for the yummy chocolate cake. Whatever it is. You can be the cheer squad. Because people need that cheer squad. Not, not because we need to hear it from other people, but, but you can be a tool in God's hands. If you are an encourager, all of us bring our own skills and talents to this church community, whatever they might be. We need to use them. We need them. We need to be a community together. We need to partner together. The second thing that we can do is we can innovate. We can try new things. If Elliot's team had said, one try is enough, we've done everything we can, there's nothing else we can do, we're not going to break this world record, let's go home and have a holiday. That's what they could have said, isn't it? 
But they didn't. They said, let's give it another crack. Let's, let's do something different. Let's try some alternatives. Let's add some people into the mix. And when they did that, they achieved the goal. Sometimes, I've heard in churches, oh, we tried it once and it never worked. Or we did it that way 20 years ago, so we should do it that way again. I'm not sure that that's the sort of innovation that we're thinking about here. It means that we, we want to keep on doing things even if we fail. Because the next time we do something for Christ, it could be the right thing. It could be the thing that God's going to use to see people come to faith in Jesus. And the final thing this morning is that when it comes to being on mission, when it comes to sharing the gospel with people, we need to welcome new people. The point of being on mission is that we're sent by Christ to share the gospel with people whenever we can, in whatever form we can, so the church will grow. And if the church grows, there's going to be some new faces around this place. And we need to welcome people. We need to show them that they belong, or they can choose to belong to this group of people who honour God. In fact, modern um, missiology says that many people these days would rather have a sense of belonging before they believe in Jesus. So have a, have a sense of being cared for, being accepted, before they even put their faith in Jesus. And that seems to be a trend. And so I trust that as we're inviting people along to different things, whether it's church services or other events that we have, for drive days, I thought about that one, then they need, people need to be welcomed for who they are. Remember what we said about having the conversations last week? It may not always be the conversation we want to have at the time, but we'll get around to those really good conversations eventually. So we need to invite people to be part of this community of faith. We need to invite them to be belong, and then we need to choose to journey with them in their walk of faith. So Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful. Pray that God will send out workers in the harvest. That's us. We need to be praying for one another. We need to know each other uh, in whatever capacity we know each other and be praying that in our daily walk we'll have that ability to share our faith with other people. I'm going to finish this morning. Cheryl, thank you. We'll go to that last uh, slide, which is the movie. And this is a great, fun movie. It's about bad teamwork and good teamwork. And uh, you'll need volume for this one too, Mark. Thanks, Cheryl. Just click on down. I think we get the point that if we're doing stuff, it's, it's better to do it together. And uh, that's what God calls us to do. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you that the Lord Jesus, when he saw the needs of the people around him, about him, hopeless and helpless, lost like sheep without a shepherd, he realised that he needed to partner with that community of believers, the disciples, the apostles, to see his plan for the world accomplished. We thank you that as they went, they went pointing people to Jesus. As they went, they went displaying the power of God. And Father, that's your plan for us as well. So we pray that you'll take us as we are, uh, gifts, skills and abilities and talents, passions, and Lord, that you'll use them in your service. And not just as individuals, but together as your church. Father, we want to be, you to be honoured and we want people who've never heard about Jesus, never seen the reality of Jesus in people's lives, 
to see Jesus in our lives and to hear the good news of Jesus from our lips so that they might come and be a part of your church, your kingdom, your eternal kingdom. This is our prayer. We pray it for your glory. Amen. Thanks, Cheryl.